Good afternoon. This is Apostle Corey Douglas with Zion Ministries in Harvest, Alabama, welcoming you to another verse-by-verse study on the book of Romans, scripture-by-scripture, verse-by-verse. And we're going to pick up, uh, we are in Romans chapter number 3, verse 11. Again, we're in Romans chapter number 3, verse 11. Uh, To bring understanding and clarity to context of what we've been studying, we'll pick up in verse number 10. And we left in our last session speaking about this often quoted uh, scripture that is taken out of context so often. And it reads, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And usually you hear people saying that uh, as an excuse for uh, sin, carnality, a failure to live a life of purity, a failure to live a life of holiness as a Christian and as a born-again Christian. And, you know, when people don't live that life, this is kind of the statement that said to say, well, we're all just shooting for the stars. You know, this Christian life of obedience and holiness and righteousness is not really obtainable because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And so... But if you think of the ideology of that, it's, it's crazy, you know, because God would not tell us to live holy and to live righteous uh, if it was unattainable. Or, or God himself would be unjust for holding us accountable for walking in purity, life, and obedience and righteousness if it was impossible. And so just the general thought pattern um, applying to the church, applying to born-again believers today, that there was none righteous, no, not one. Not only is it does it not make sense and does it not go with the rest of the plan of redemption, but it is also unscriptural as well uh, because there are many people in the Bible that have been called righteous, Old and New Testament. And we also uh, have the commandment in the book of First John to work or to live out righteousness in the earth as evidence that we're children of God. And so the context of there was none righteous, no, not one, is not speaking about uh, the Christian's inability to live a righteous and pure and holy life. It is speaking about two different people groups as a whole uh, before Jesus Christ. Remember, we're talking about Jew versus Gentile. Say that with me, Jew versus Gentile. And we established before that the Jewish people uh, were the ones who were given a covenant with God, and they were privy or privileged to have God himself uh, reveal himself to them as a nation, as a people, in a very real, supernatural, and tangible way uh, with proof and evidence. God made his imprint up on them, and so uh, he made a covenant uh, with the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Uh, from whom came the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, even today. But this verse is saying that there is none righteous, no, not one, speaking about the nation of the Jewish people in contrast to the nations of the Gentiles. Remember, we established that uh, Gentiles, this word in Scripture, uh, is a word that referred to every nation that was not Jewish by bloodline or by ethnicity. Um, And so that would be every other nation apart from the Hebrew people and the original Jewish people. And so uh, the context of this chapter and the statement, again, in verse 10, um, 
you know, with understanding. It's not dealing with the Christian's inability to live a pure life. It is dealing with, uh, this, you know, regardless of if you are Abraham's seed according to the flesh or if you are a Gentile who was not given a covenant and God did not originally reveal himself to, uh, neither one of the, the groups of people or the nations are pure and righteous and holy in and of themselves. The Jews are not righteous because God chose to reveal himself to them and give them a covenant, and the Gentiles are not righteous in and of themselves just because they may live out certain characteristics uh, of obedience that in some ways are pure and more in line with the will of God than the Jewish people. So ultimately, he has concluded that no man's righteousness or that all of our righteousness, both Jew and Greek, is filthy rags, okay? And so he's bringing everyone and placing them both on the same level, emphasizing to the Jewish people that you don't have any special standing with God um, over the Gentile nations apart from your surrender and your obedience to God, okay? So verse 11, let's move on. And he goes on to say, there is none that understandeth, and there is none that seeketh after God. Now, again, in verse 11, you know, this, this is oftentimes taken out of context because in our day, uh, there are people that don't see God, but we see many people seeking after God. We see people praying. We see people pressing into the presence. We see people forsaking all. We see people congregating, uh, having fellowship services, worship nights, and just pursuing God. So this, this, this is not a blanket statement to say that in our day, that no one is seeking after God. And this is why context of Scripture is so important in understanding the original intent of the author as the Spirit of God was speaking to the Apostle Paul. Okay? What he's saying is that as it relates to Jews and Gentiles, okay, there is none that sought after him originally as an act of their will uh, just from the pureness of their own nature or from their own self-volition. Okay? And so the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, we don't find God initially. God reveals himself to us, you know. Um, and so, you know, God, God makes himself known to man and humanity. So none of us can take the credit for discovering God or finding God. The fact of the matter is, you know, the reality of God, the love of God, and the revelation of who he is is really chasing us down uh, day after day. But in verse 11, I want you to look at two things. Uh, I don't want to go too fast in verse 11. Uh, I want you to focus on these words. He says, there is none that understandeth and none that seeketh after God. Okay. Now, in context, these are two characteristics that you will find in people who are not walking according to his will or his righteousness. Number two, they lack understanding. And the other thing is that you'll find that there's not a desire for them to seek after God. Okay? The Apostle Paul alludes to this in the book of Ephesians when he talks about um, having our minds alienated um, and our foolish hearts darkened and that you know, people are without understanding having their minds alienated from the truth being without understanding. So Light, the entrance of God's word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. Where there is no light, there is no understanding. Okay? 
And where there's no understanding, there's no reality of who God is. There's no intimate relationship with God is. And so if people are truly in connection and in covenant with God, you'll find that they are consistently growing in two things. They're continually growing in their understanding of who God is because our understanding of God grows. You know, we don't just know God once and for all. Uh, the writer in the book of Hosea said that we should go on to know him after we have known him. And so we can know God more and more each and every day. Okay? We can always learn more of who he is. Uh, but in order for that to happen, in order for our understanding to increase, there has to be something in us that desires to seek after him. Look at the end of verse 11. It says that there is none that seek after him. And this goes back to the theme of what I believe to be the heart of our calling as a people in today's time. And, you know, you, people wonder, they say, what is my purpose? You know, why am I here? Uh, you, know, you know, what is my calling? Uh, your calling is to know God and your purpose is to seek after him with everything that's within you, okay? Uh, to know him intimately, to know him um, intuitively, to know him relationally, to know him experientially, to know him not just uh, in a knowledge basis to have heard of him, but uh, to be in living union and in oneness with him as is specified in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, and also John chapter 17, the high priest prayer that Jesus prayed before he was crucified was that we may be one as he is one with the Father, and we are one with him, and the Father is one in us, and so that we may be all in all. So that is the entire duty of man. And in order for that to happen, uh, those of us who are making this relatable to born-again Christians today who are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, who have received the gift of righteousness by faith, as we'll read later in Romans chapter 5, those of us who have received that, we have a responsibility to do two things. You can always... You know, sometimes we wonder, where am I in my walk with God? You know, am I doing the will of God or am I, you know, have I backslidden? Am I lukewarm? Am I on fire? Okay. These are two indicators that you can use to measure yourself. Okay. You should ask yourself, we should ask ourselves the question, am I daily growing in my understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ? Is my understanding of him increasing progressively each day or am I knowing him? And, and regressing in my knowledge of him, regressing in my understanding of him, okay? Have I gone on to know him and to understand some things about him and all of a sudden ran into a stagnant point or a stagnant part in my growth to where I'm no longer uh, progressively growing in my understanding of him and uh, even the understanding that I previously gained of him seems to be lost or seems to be leaving or seems to be taken. Okay, if this is the case, uh, then there is room for realignment and to uh, line back up in our obedience and our relationship somewhere we've departed from the path of life because uh, the Bible says that we go from faith to faith, from strength to strength, listen, and from glory to glory. And that term glory to glory should, it's basically saying that, you know, we grow progressively in seeing Jesus in his glory and who he is. We Increasing that understanding daily, okay? There's, there's, uh, and, and our ability to excel in that understanding of who he is, we never peek out in that, okay? 
but it always increases. And the other thing that can be an indicator that you are on the path of life or that somehow we have departed from the life is the desire and the daily experience of seeking after God. And if you're listening on by yourself, I just want you to say that out loud, seeking after God, okay? And this is so vital and so important, uh, and this is something that the righteous will do and the righteous do do, those who are in right standing with God. They grow in understanding and they seek after him. They seek after him. Seeking after him is not just participating in the things of God, okay? And it's not just uh, being uh, mesmerized and factuated and recipients of the promises of God, of the acts of God, of the uh, things that God has said that he will do. Seeking after him is desiring him, okay, to know him intimately, John 17, 3. And so, you know, we can ask ourselves daily, am I growing more in my passion to go after God, okay? And am I going after him in an experiential way, not as a noun but as a verb? Is this an, am, you know, do I have any action? Is a daily action in my life that points to me pulling near and drawing near to him, as the Apostle James says in the book of James, that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. That is a very powerful verse uh, that I believe that we have not yet taken advantage of in our generation. In order to, to really uh, know God, we have to desire him. And so when this verse says in verse 11, there is none that seeketh after God, it is implying that Jew and Gentile, uh, they all have different passions, different desires, different ambitions, different appetites, different thirst and lust and, and just cravings on the inside. And in the midst of all of their cravings and all of their desires, none of those things were for him, were to know him. Okay? And it's important that uh, we examine our desires, our cravings, our hungers, our thirst. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5 that the people that hunger and thirst after righteousness uh, shall be filled because hungering and thirsting after righteousness is not a normal response. Uh, it is a supernatural response uh, in the heart of those who desire to know him for who he is. Okay. And so just remember in verse 11, and how we equate this to our Christian life today is that we grow progressively in our understanding of who he is, and we grow stronger in our passion and desire to know him, and also we increase in our uh, daily action of seeking after him, okay, seeking after God himself. Verse number 12, and it reads, they are all context, quote, unquote, Jews and Gentiles. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, 
No, not one. Now, remember the context of, of this as we started in chapter number three was there were certain Jewish people that felt that they had the advantage over the Gentiles uh, simply because they were, quote, unquote, God's chosen people that he chose to reveal himself to first and foremost. And so there were those that thought that they had a special standing with God or that they got a pass on certain um, sins, disobedience, and, or that they somehow would receive blessings and favor and abundance without the requirement of heartfelt obedience to God. So this is what the Apostle Paul is stressing, the fact that no nation had the advantage over the other. God is not partial. Okay? He holds us all accountable uh, to the same surrender and to the same cross of Christ. So they are all gone out of the way, all nations. They are all together become unprofitable. This is before Christ, Jews and Gentiles. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Okay. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. Okay. Another word for sepulcher is tomb okay. or grave. Okay. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of ash is under their lips. Now, you may say, why is he going in great detail? Because the Jewish people who have received the law, uh, they had a form of self-righteousness. And what the Apostle Paul is addressing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that They outwardly appeared to be pious and obedient and lovers of God in public sight and in the eyesight of people, but inwardly and in secret and in actuality in their real life, they were just as uh, debased, wicked, and evil in operations as the Gentile nations that they condemned through their self-righteousness. Okay? And so as we read this, this is a shocking, shocking revelation um, to the Jewish people at that time. It says their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit, both Jew and Gentile. The poison of asp is under their lips, okay, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, okay, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Okay. And I, I want to go back to verse 14 because, you know, there's a, uh, a very uh, powerful truth just in here. Uh, what, what we'll find in verse 14, this is just a, a correlation uh, to just kind of understand. When this word bitterness, when it says that their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, it, it's a, uh, there, it, there's an English word that's pronounced acridity, A-C-R-I-D-I-T-Y, okay? And in this particular verse, it says that their mouth is full of acridity, quote-unquote, especially poison. And so what, what begins to happen, you guys, is 
I want you to remember this. A bitter root always produces a bitter fruit. Okay. A bitter root always produces a bitter fruit. Now, the writer in the book of Hebrews speaks about the root of bitterness, you know, and not allowing the root of bitterness to enter in and to defile many if it takes root, okay? And I'm going to share this about bitterness and, and cursing. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about drinking something very nasty, okay? Usually when we digest something very nasty, we begin to spit it out. We frown in our face. And some of us will begin to utter certain things because of us digesting something that's not good to us uh, that are not so Christ-like, you know, or, or just we would, when we, when we partake of something, what we taste, at that point, normally reflects to our words, okay? Even if we say, that's nasty or, or that was terrible or, you know, I hate that, or, blah, 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 I can't stand. The, and the correlation is that when we allow bitterness to enter our heart, we directly reflect that bitterness with our words and with our actions and with our lips. Just as if we drink something that's bitter, we may start spitting and wiping our mouth and frowning at the face and, 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 and voicing our opinion because of what we have tasted that we didn't like. When the bitterness, when we allow bitterness to come in okay, and take root in our heart, at that point you will find that the fruit of that bitterness is often cursing, okay? uh, evil speaking, and 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 again, cursing um, because of what we have allowed ourselves to taste with our heart or with our what we've come into agreement with with our heart. Okay. Now the remedy for that is the Bible says, "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that put his trust in Him." Okay. We can taste of the Lord and eat of the Lord, or we can eat of the fruit of bitterness. And the fact of the matter is, is that in this life, Jesus said that we will have tribulation. And so we, we all will have the opportunity to become bitter, okay, or to eat of the bitterness and, and then to spew out uh, a reflection of what we have allowed ourselves to feast upon through cursing and evil speaking. Or we can taste and see that the Lord is good in the midst of what we're going through, okay, and we can uh, bring glory and give glory to God in the process. In other words, life is going to be life for everyone. But we determine who and what we're going to eat off, okay, and what we're going to taste from. We can pour from the Lord's life, and we can remain thankful, gracious, with a wholesome tongue, and we can minister grace to the hearers in all that we go through and have our speech seasoned with salt. Or we can partake uh, of the dissatisfaction that's going on in this world and become uh, poisonous uh, with our lips. Praise God. So moving on that. <clears throat> it says, their feet are swift to shed blood, both Jew and Gentile. Okay? The Gentiles were pretty open about these things. The Jews, they denied it all. But secretly, 
you know, in in their real life, God knew. And God was saying that you're no different. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Okay. And I do want to explain destruction and misery because this is so uh this is another point that I believe can be very, very relevant uh to anyone just to understand. So many times, you know, we we can just kind of read things, but uh, let's let's examine this a little further. Okay. This word destruction means uh, ruin, R-U-I-N, to be brought to uh, ruin or for something to, to be disintegrated or to be brought to nothing or to be demolished. Another word is to be destroyed, okay? And what happens is, is that destruction and misery the Bible says, are in their ways. These are in the ways of those who are not in the way of the righteous or who are not walking uh, in covenant and in relationship with God. They will find that things or that life will begin to come to ruins. And not only uh, do things in their personal life begin to fall to ruins, but they find themselves uh, with aim and with intent uh, to, to ruin other things, to destroy other things as well. And so as we read this, the Bible says destruction and misery. Another word for uh, misery is calamity. Or another word for calamity is trouble or hardship are in their ways. Okay? Now, I want you to look at this closely. It didn't just say that destruction and misery is something that they experience as a fruit of their actions. But it says that destruction and misery are in their ways, okay? Ways, mannerisms, um, habits, traits, characteristics. You know, I want you. I want to explain ways to you. Ways are things that we do naturally, without thinking. Okay, they are organic. They are the expression or of core values, and things that we do effortlessly. Um, that we have embraced subconsciously and that we walk in and that we execute without thinking. And so to the person that's not in, in the path of righteousness, there are things that become ingrained in our ways. In context of this, God was saying, in both Jews who perceived to be uh, out out. You know, outwardly pious and outwardly obedient to God and outwardly they seem to be righteous and doing what's right. The truth is, in reality, destruction and misery were in their ways as well as the nations, as the heathen nations who worship Dagon, Ashtoreth, Aphrodite, and all of the pagan nations that the Jewish people condemn. God was saying, just because I have revealed myself to you, your actions and your ways are no different, okay? And the reason that he's establishing this is because originally the gospel was preached into the Jews and they rejected Jesus because they felt they had no need of a Messiah, that they themselves were righteous according to the law. And on the other side, the Gentiles realized their wretchedness and their need for a Savior and for their ways to be changed and they readily ran to receive Christ, even though he did not reveal himself to them initially. 
And the reason that the Apostle Paul is establishing this in the beginning is to tear down the lies and the deception and the pride that people have, even if they feel like they have been chosen or even if they feel like God did not choose them in the beginning, he has concluded all under sin and that there is none righteous, no, not one. And all of us, whether Jew or Greek, are in need of a Savior and are in need of the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem us and to set us free because there is salvation in no other name other than the name of Jesus Christ. So uh, he's establishing this to tear down lies, to awaken in whoever uh, a revelation of how much they need him and how much we all need him in order to have peace. Now, verse 17 speaks, and it says, and the way of peace they have not known. Okay? And so destruction and misery were in their way. And he said, even though they seem peaceful on the outside, the way of peace, Jews and Gentiles have not known, okay, altogether. Peace is a little different than just, uh, you know, a freedom from hostility, uh, peaceful mind and solace and serenity. These are all attributes of peace. But biblical peace really means to be in harmony and in fellowship and in perfect and in complete union with God, okay? And, if, and he will say the way of peace they have not known because their ways are against God's will and God's way. And so when we look at peace, I want to define something peace as different. When we are in right standing with God, when we are in fellowship with God, then everything feels and seems and truly is okay, okay? But when we are out of sync and out of fellowship with God, there is no peace. As the prophet Isaiah states, uh, there is no peace for the wicked or for those that are doing their own thing and living life according to their desires and their lusts. Thank you for your time. I pray that the Bible study and that the word of God brought some light, clarity, understanding, illumination that enhances your personal life with Christ and your walk with him. This will conclude our study on the book of Romans. And if it be the Lord's will, we will proceed this coming Friday at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. God bless you. Grace and peace be with you in Jesus' name.